All right. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Legal Tech Week, our uh, weekly roundtable where we talk about the top stories in legal tech and legal innovation and various other topics that may strike us during the course of of the session. Uh, I am Bob Ambrogi. I write the blog Law Sites and have the podcast Law Next. And um, let's go around and introduce ourselves. Uh, Joe, how about you? Yeah, so I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law, and I would like to, I, I don't know how many people are on here, I, I need to get off my chest one thing, which is I want to <laughs> send my sincerest apologies to anybody who tried to play my presidential debate drinking game uh, the other day, because everything I wrote down hit, I think. So people are very, very uh, ill. Uh, I hear there was a, a whole bunch of in intensive care stories. So I'm sorry, uh, won't do it again. Thank you. You know, that debate was enough to give me a hangover without even having to drink very much. So uh, no apologies necessary, I don't think. Uh, uh, Victor, how about you? Hi, everyone. My name is Victor Lee. I am Assistant Managing Editor for the ABA Journal, covering the business of law and technology. Uh, my usual disclaimer is I don't speak for the ABA or the ABA Journal, and if I go on too long, I'm sure Chris Wallace or somebody will just cut me off and you know, make <laughs> stop talking. The great debate mute button. We need one of those. <laughs> yeah. uh, Nikki, how about you? Uh, well, I'm still, I had like anxiety attacks during that period, <laughs> so I'm still recovering. It was, my stomach was clenching up. I don't know about you guys. It was so hard to sit through, but uh, I'm Nikki kind of Black. my I'm daily really... state. <laughs> Your daily what? My daily state that way is like oh. anxiety attacks. That was awful. Um, I, I'm Nikki Black. I'm the legal technology evangelist with my case, and I am I'm also a legal technology journalist. I write regular legal tech articles for uh, ABA Journal Above the Law, um, the Daily Record, uh, My Case Blog, and other outlets. And um, that's all I have to say today. <laughs> for now. <laughs> for now. Uh, all right, Victoria Hudgens. Hey, everyone. My name is Victoria Hudgens. I'm a reporter with Legal Tech News, where I cover the intersection of law and technology. And um, you can also find my byline on law.com, the American Lawyer, Corporate Counsel, and a few other ALM publications. Okay, Molly McDonough. I'm Molly McDonough. I am a media strategist based in the Chicago area, former editor and publisher of the ABA Journal and new producer for Legal Talk Network's uh, Legal Talk Today. All right. Uh, good, good, good to see you gainfully employed for a change. <laughs> uh, and uh, Zach Warren. Hey there, everybody. My name is Zach Warren. I'm editor-in-chief of Legal Tech News, uh, ALM's publication at the intersection of law and technology. Also do a bunch of other stuff around ALM, including this week, uh, Law.com Barometer, which launched and I wrote the first edition of, which is connected with Legal Week New York. Um, so you'll be seeing a lot of that. Well, speaking of which, yeah, I figured that, uh, that that's probably could be our lead off story this week is <laughs> the, the mystery has finally been uh, answered and we now know what's happening with Legal Week. So tell us about that. Yeah, what's happening with Legal Week. So it's a little bit of a back and forth. I mean, obviously, a bunch of events have gone virtual over the past year. There was a hope for a while that things may be better by February 2021. As especially the summer went on, that became increasingly obvious that it will not. And having 5,000 people jammed into the Hilton, probably a bad idea. 
So what is going to be happening instead, rather than postponing the date or anything like that, is going to be not just one virtual event, but a series of virtual events. Um, the first one being during the normal legal week date, uh, February 1st through 3rd. And then there will be events in, I believe, March, April, May, and July. Um, like one-off days for a few of those. And then in July is a two-day event. Um, just kind of spreading out legal week a little bit more, um, trying to get the same amount of content that previously was at the event, just in a different format and shake it up a little bit with some, some sponsor showcases, videos, and, uh, ALM editorial will be playing a part in that as well. So it's the entire point is you can't really replicate the in-person experience. It's tough to do as we've all seen over these virtual conferences, but trying to do the best, ALM's trying to do the best that they can and just lead up to the 2022 event as much as possible. Um, so yeah, it, my same disclaimer that I had two weeks ago, I'm not part of the ALM events team, but being part of ALM, um, they asked for my input on some various things. Um, so I criticize away, please, as journalists do, um, not thinking that like I'm part of that, I guess. Well, I'm just going to ask the question that I'm sure is on everybody's minds. There's going to there's gonna be avatars, right? Like I know everyone wants an avatar. <laughs> so I actually... I guess the answer is no. I couldn't no avatars. You, actually what you were saying. Oh, well, I, was, I was saying I'm asking the question that I'm sure is on everybody's minds. There will be avatars, right? And I know the answer is no. <laughs> oh, sorry, avatars. Yeah, I couldn't hear. Um, you'd have to ask them for that one. I can get you guys in contact because I feel like you would have some strong opinions. 5,000 avatars. I just want to try an avatar Hilton. somewhere. Yeah, right. I just no, want, to, I want to have a little avatar just once. I may have to just do my own. I don't know. It's a dream of mine, but okay. Yeah. And I don't know if you mentioned uh, the... Uh, even most important part, they, they've rebranded Legal yeah. Week to? Legal Week parentheses year. <laughs> um, and supposedly, so I didn't know this before the press release went out, but year is bolded on every single reference. I told them straight up, I am not bolding that. Um, <laughs> and italicized too, right? Isn't it bolded I, and italicized? I think it might be italicized too. Yeah. Um, but that is the branding, yes. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of ABA Tech Show with the all caps. Like sometimes yeah. it's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, I always feel like screaming a lot when I see when I see ABA Tech Show. I'm like, it's ABA Tech Show. Nice. Yeah, for years I resisted capitalizing. For some reason, I started doing it recently. There's there is if you look at like like I don't know the AP manual on names. They usually say go with what how people want their names to be spelled or 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 or. or uh, um, what am I trying to say? You know, punctuated, not punctuated. What am I trying to say? Capitalized, not capitalized. So I don't know. I've been going with capitalized tech show, but legal tech week. I mean, legal week year is, uh, it's a lot. Is, uh, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, any, any other, uh, any, anybody want to lay into Zach on, on this? Uh, I mean, we already have had uh, a few conversations on here about, where wither conferences in the next uh, year? What what are we going to do? What are companies going to do? Where are they going to put their spend? Um, so I think experimentation is really kind of the name of the game. You've got to try and figure out some way to keep people connected and keep that those bonds going in a way that uh, people can still do. Uh, 
I don't know if this is the right answer. I don't think anybody knows what the right answer is, but I mean, this is certainly in line with what I expected people to do. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's a right answer. Uh, and all of this is happening. Uh, we're, we're learning this as we're, what, uh, two weeks away from the Clio Cloud Conference, which is another big, uh, you know, legal tech, legal law practice conference. Uh, and uh, they, of course, are also going virtual. They are, what, the, not, not this coming week, but the week after that is, is the Clio Cloud Conference. And, um, uh, you know, I don't know that much about it yet, actually, either. I'm going to be, I know I'm going to be talking to them to find out a little bit more about what they've got planned. But, uh, uh, you know, that'll be uh, another interesting one uh, uh, to see how they pull it off. Because they've had a very, uh, they've always had a very successful, I, I think their their physical conference is, is one of the best out there uh, these days. And uh, so interesting to see how they what they pull off. I, I am looking forward to one of their speakers is Ben Crump with nothing yeah. to do with legal technology, but that's going to be a, a really interesting talk, I think. But that's the thing about them. They, it, most of their great speakers don't have anything to do with legal yeah. technology. Right. And then at the end of uh, what I love about that show is they don't have anything to do with legal technology. And by the end of them talking, you hold the strands together and you're like, yeah, that does actually come back to a legal tech topic. <laughs> Who do you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I feel like they're in a better position than a lot of the other shows we've talked about because they aren't trying to reach customer. They, they aren't a venue for an for various exhibitors to try and reach other customers. They're bringing their own kind of in-house, people who are already customers and kind of keeping them excited. So I think that's the sort of thing that might work better virtually than some of the other uh, shows that we've worked with, but we'll see. Yeah. That's possible, but kind of on the flip side of that, like Relativity Fest was a few weeks ago, and I think you could definitely tell it's usually it's the same sort of glitz and glamour and they've had like full bands leading their keynote. It was definitely pared down compared to what you saw in the past. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because these are times that kind of call for a more pared down show. But on the flip side, you're just not going to get the people excited like you once were. So I think it might be worth for shows like Cleo cloud conference, tempering expectations a little bit. Yeah. yeah, I wish I had done relativity to compare to to Cleo because I, 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 um, I've heard a lot of kind of a lot of feedback, much of it negative on on Relativity Fest. Um, compare it because people really enjoy the in person experience, and this was just just didn't even come close. And so I, I'm interested. Cleo does usually does such a good job with their production value too. So we'll see if they bring that to the web, which I would I would expect well are, there's they, also good go ahead no no okay you go <laughs> i was gonna i was gonna talk about some additional conferences so we can close up the, this one before like that's before i go into that i'm done oh yeah well i was gonna say carolyn elephant just had a woman and uh a women lawyers summit that um i spoke at two nights ago i spoke at seven and there were like 50 people online at seven, which I thought was pretty impressive because that was after the first full day. And that one seemed really well attended. Um, and it was, uh, seemed to have a lot of energy. Uh, if I'm correct, uh, I think NetDocuments, um, their customer conference is going on now or starting now. Next week, next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then, because I just got an email on that. And yeah. Alt Legal um, is having their first ever conference. That's the IP um, software 
um, with Nahal Madani. He's the CEO. I hope I didn't massacre his name just now. Um, but that's going to be their first ever. And unfortunately, it coincided with um, uh, COVID. And I'm speaking at that one. So it'll just be interesting to see how all these different companies are sort of going to approach this. And uh, if anyone seems to find that magic secret formula, which I'm sure I think it'll include avatars, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, that I was actually, that was the, the Caroline's, uh, 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 Caroline, Caroline Offense conference was actually the one I was going to mention because it's kind of like one of the interesting things about what's happening in the conference scene is there, I would almost call that like a pop-up conference. <laughs> like she just decided to do that less than a month ago, I think. Uh, and, and they pulled together this really great conference with really great speakers, uh, her and Gina Belisle, uh, who's an attorney on, on Long Island. Uh, and um, you know, probably didn't cost them much to have to do it. And they probably got great attendance and people from, you know, all over the place uh, on a, uh, you know, on a, on a timely topic. Uh, and uh, that's probably one of the, you know, sort of interesting, exciting things about right now is that people can do these, these uh, conferences uh, almost off the cuff. I, uh, you know, I know we were, I'm helping LexBlog try and figure out whether we're, we're going to do something on, on blogging and just do a quick little, you know, half day or something, just pull together a few programs and do a little mini conference. And, and it's just easy to do. And if people come great, if not, doesn't, you haven't really had to put a lot of money into it. So you're not losing a lot. So. Yeah. I think a lot of it, I mean, it comes down to the same thing as in person though. It's people that others want to hear from. If you get good speakers, then ultimately a lot of the people will follow and be interested. Like probably my favorite conference that I've seen during this whole thing was actually a similar kind of pop-up conference. Um, Stephanie Corey, who I think a, a bunch of you here know, Legal Ops, just put together a conference with some Legal Ops people in GCs. It was a one-day event, they, but it was super slick the way that they did it because you log in and they, they pre-recorded a lot of the stuff, but it was pre-recorded, just an intro video. Then you stay on the same page. It floats seamlessly into their first panel with a bunch of GCs, then floats seamlessly into pre-recorded videos from sponsors and just putting everything together in a way that it made it easy to participate, but it was also people that others wanted to hear from. Um, it's not so much a magic formula, just very hard to execute, I think. Yeah. So I, I don't know if anybody saw, there was a, a tweet earlier today from Ron Friedman saying, uh, is it just my imagination or has there been less noteworthy legal tech law practice news over the last few weeks than typical? Uh, and I, I, I wrote back saying, well, we've had the acquisition of my case. We had the acquisition of Headnote Law. We had this acquisition of Rocket Matter. We had the launch yesterday of this uh, Lex Fusion company. So it seems like there's been a little activity. But uh, when we talked about the my case acquisition a few weeks ago, uh, Nikki's lips were sealed and she couldn't say anything about it. But now you can say a little more about it. Did you want to say anything more about it at this point? It, it's actually now closed, right? The the money has changed hands and the keys right. uh, have uh, changed hands. Yeah, yesterday was day one, so to speak, of My Case Inc. moving forward. So um, I, it's you know, we're incredibly excited about it, and um, I just wanted to drop that on the table, you know, in case there were any questions related to it. Um, there were not in the press release or the blog post. And um, if not, I understand. I know we already do have a good amount of information out there. So, but I just wanted to note that, you know, that it did close and 
we're really excited. Um, we're focused on our, you know, three things, our mission, our customers, and accelerating growth. Um, I mean, I think any of you that have ever talked to me at any of the conferences when we're talking about my cases, um, and, you know, new products or, um, you know, enhancements to the product that we've come out with, you know, listening to customers has always been a part of, uh, at the heart of what we do. And we're going to continue to remain focused on listening to our customers to ensure that um, the accelerated growth and product development is in line with their needs to help them streamline their firms and run the best practices that they can or continue to be focused on that mission of listening to our customers and providing them with the tools they need to run successful uh, law firms. And we're incredibly excited um, at, uh, with this acquisition and um, the, the investment in accelerating growth that's going to be available and that how Apex Partners is going to be able to help us in that mission by investing in product development along with sales and marketing to continue fueling innovation and accelerate um, the growth of our business. So, you know, it's sort of a top of the line summary of um, why we're excited about this. And, you know, I'm happy to answer any questions to the extent that I can. And if not, I completely understand because like I said, I know there's a lot out there already. Any questions? I mean, I, I think the questions are probably going to be longer term. I mean, you know, I, I said before, I think one of the big questions <clears throat> I keep getting is, is, is private equity investment a good thing or a bad thing uh, for a company? There are, you know, some people say that, a, you know, these uh, a private equity firm is going to acquire a company and, you know, suck the last little life out of it and, and then toss it aside. Others say, no, it really depends. And a lot of uh, PE firms are, are in it for the long haul and they're looking to build up businesses uh, in a particular vertical or industry or, or whatever else. And uh, I, I kind of feel like these, all of these acquisitions, I actually wrote, wrote about this this week on Above the Law, but I, I kind of feel like all of these acquisitions have the signs of wanting to be longer term investments that are going to end up being good for the products. And, and that would mean good for the customers. So I don't know. We'll see. Well, and, you know, as that relates to um, my case in Apex, Apex Funds has a history, uh, you know, track record of investing in software companies uh, that become category leaders you know, with APAC's investment and advisement. So it makes them an ideal partner for us because it, it, it's a great opportunity for us to increase the breadth of our product and accelerate growth while at the same time providing the high level of service that our customers expect, especially given the continuity of the team, including the leadership team um, that we have here. So it's a super exciting opportunity. And like, you know, APAC has this track record of um, category leader, you know, creating um, software leaders in a particular category. So, I, you know, I think that that, you know, and I think you do need to look up uh, each company and see what, what, who is this private equity company right. and what have yeah. they done in the past. Right. So I think that's a big part of it too. Right. There's not a generic. Well, and just legal is different too, because, you know, it's it, when you think of the, pri the private equity and investment space, it's not, uh, it's not the same as a, as a, a much larger market. Uh, so when you, when you look at the investment, I would expect it to be more long-term because it's smaller, it's smaller scale. Uh, so your the, the, the profit comes with a deeper investment and success of the product, um, unless you're, you know, making the bridge to direct to consumer. Uh, then it could be a different story. Yep. Um, I, I think I neglected to mention at the outset, but for any of uh, the folks out there who are 
in the audience watching this, uh, we welcome your comments. Uh, if you have any topics or stories uh, you, you wanted to raise or, or have us talk about here, go ahead and do that in the chat. Um, but uh, since I, I just mentioned that in, in raising the, the practice management uh, um, issue, I was going to also mention this story I did this week, which was this uh, launch of this uh, Lex Fusion uh, by a couple of sort of industry veterans. People have been around for a long time. Um, uh, and uh, the, I think the interesting thing about it in, in part is is it's very hard to come up with an elevator speech for what they do, <laughs> uh, but they're essentially trying to form a, not trying to, they have formed a, a kind of a, a collective for selling legal tech where they brought together, uh, you know, supposedly best of breed companies in each, uh, in, in, a, in a variety of sort of segments of, of legal tech. Uh, and they're going to be essentially the business development representatives for that group of companies. Uh, but with a, uh, with an with an approach to this of not kind of just uh, you know cold calling and, and, and emailing and, and being pests, but trying to establish kind of relationships uh, uh, with with buyers of legal tech, lar larger firms and corporate legal departments, uh, where they can go in and kind of have a conversation about what are your needs, what kinds of tech are right to address those needs, how do we pull it all together in a way that makes sense for you. Um, so, you know, I think it was kind of interesting. I, I, I think I, I can well imagine what it's like being the GC of a, a big corporation or the head of a law firm, just given the emails I get every day from people pitching me, trying to get me to, you know, take demos and whatever else from them. Uh, I, I'm sure GCs just get overwhelmed by all this. And the idea of, you know, this, there's a certain appeal to the, somebody coming to me and saying, I've vetted these companies. These are really good. You know, maybe these are the ones that work for you, but I don't know. Um, anybody uh, have any thoughts on that? Or So, I, I mean, I have a, a lot. I thought it was really interesting. Uh, uh, um, not too long ago, uh, Dan Lena did a, a really good interview with um, – uh, Mark Grossman and about uh, adoption and what it and really about what kind of questions lawyers need to be asking to vet AI um, tech tools that are being pitched to their firms and and she has kind of these eight methodical questions but one of the things she said is that if there w was it to get a what quicker wider adoption it would be great if there was some type of entity that was doing vetting like a um, good housekeeping seal of approval or a um, or a consumer reports type thing entity that's vetting the technology so that consumers can the legal consumers can be making um, uh, better decisions without having to get so deep into the weeds of you know what whether the technology works whether it works for their their um, size, their technology, you know, all of that, the integrations. Um, so I, I think this is a positive step in that direction. Um, I guess I'm a little confused, I'm not confused, but concerned about the exclusivity component. So it's just kind of like a consortium of groups of non-competing non businesses. So, you know, what if you want a slightly different alternative in that mix? You know, what, what do you do as a, as a firm? Yeah, I, I, those are good points. I, I think um, one of the issues I, I raised uh, with them and talking to them for the story I did and, and also with some of the other companies that were involved is, is this possibly something that could 
um, suppress uh, competition, uh, especially from smaller startups? Do they get the smaller startups kind of get squeezed out of the market, uh, or at least uh, uh, inhibited from getting into the market if there are sort of consortium consortia or collectives representing groups of companies? You know, their response is no, not at all, because we're always going to be looking for the newest and the best and the most innovative, you know, to bring into our fold and to make part of our collective. Um, but, uh, you know, whether that works in practice, I don't know. Yeah, but what, what happens if one of those companies competes against one of the, one of the, one of the you know, companies right. that are currently in the consortium? Then it's like, what do you do? I mean, you know, if this company comes along that's better or if it would, you know, possibly, you know, be able to, you know, accrue some kind of market share, you know, that, that could take away from the share of one of the companies in the consortium and what happens. So, I, I mean, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. You know, I, I feel like these, these arrangements always sound good. They always sound interesting, especially, you know, when, you know, when you consider the, the people involved. But, yeah, I guess it's always devils in the details. And, you know, we'll see, see, how, see how it turns out. Yeah, yeah. You know, and another question somebody, uh, John Broder, just asked in the comments, is, isn't this basically an old-fashioned version of Rain in Court? I, I think... I mean, I think it's a little, I think it's a little bit different. Uh, Rain in court is almost more like a, well, they've been using the phrase, the app store of law, uh, but it's um, more a way of uh, uh, providing uh, easy access to sort of try out uh, different kinds of technology products. Uh, whereas uh, uh, this is, uh, you know, really looking at, at, at a, at a, at a specific group of, of products, you know, I think the fact that it's focused on very specific verticals and one company per, per vertical within legal tech uh, makes it a lot different, but it is a little hard to, to fully explain the difference. Um, all right. Who else wants to, who, who wants to go next? What else we got? Anybody want to chime in? Um, I can talk about, um, Earlier this week, um, one of my coworkers, my colleagues at New, at the New Jersey Law uh, Journal, they wrote about a, Sam, uh, a Salt Lake City-based attorney who owns a law firm called Law HQ, and he wanted to expand out of Utah, but he found in um, nine states that he can't use a trade name. Well, he can't operate as a law firm um, under a trade name. Um, I guess like you have to, the law firm has to be named after a person's name. Um, he brought litigation in those nine states and they're New Jersey, New York, Georgia, Nebraska, Ohio, Mississippi, Indiana, and Rhode Island. And only Indiana and Rhode Island are still fighting him in court over, over this. Um, the, seven, the seven other states, they just changed their rules after he filed his suit. And he said like this seems like it could really be something that um, you, it allows more creativity for law firms to name their law firms, and he thinks it's most likely would be used for law firms whose practice are kind of like immigrant federal law, like his um, law firm, he focuses on the TCPA litigation. And he said maybe like immigration law, they may start leveraging like trade names um, while operating under trade names for their law firms. And he also noted, I thought was kind of interesting with Utah and Arizona, allowing non-lawyers to provide some um, legal services. He said that could you could possibly see more law firms have more like consumer facing or well consumer focused branding with their name. So it'll kind of be interesting, like what we see some law firms popping up and they're not just whoever and ever partners and associates if we'll see a little bit more creative names. And also like a tech point of it that 
kind of puts it in tech. Law HQ, he said he also, like, he wanted to expand. He also has, like, a smartphone app. So I would think, like, oh, that might be interesting. Like, if you see law firms saying they're getting more tech-focused and maybe to say, like, to have, um, to, can you, to continue, like, their branding, they'll say, like, oh, we won't go by such and such firm. It'll be Law HQ. So that'd be interesting to see if, like, we'll see that become more popular among certain firms. I mean, as a lawyer, I, I remember the, this lesson in law school. Like, I, re, I can't remember what class it was, but I absolutely <laughs> remember where we had the class where we learned this is why you can't have trade names. And it was they didn't want people to say I'm triple A law firm and be first in the yellow pages. Uh, that said, the yellow pages aren't really a thing anymore. But what is a thing is somebody looking for immigration help being able to search for immigration law in a way that is easy to find. Um, Yes, these algorithms for search engines kind of help with that. They'll figure that out a little bit for you. But going by names, uh, like we have traditionally, is not particularly accessible to people who aren't in the, we're in the no legal world. And so having trade names is actually a good way to expand the reach of law to people who actually need it, who don't, didn't grow up knowing that, oh, my, my boating putty is the, uh, partner at blah 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 you know like they it's it's a good thing yeah i definitely don't expect like big law to change their um naming practices they'll still have that but i do kind of think like if you're trying to appeal to a certain consumer base especially like google seo like having that be a little bit easier for when you're doing that search from um by clients that don't necessarily have connections to law firms that could be really helpful for a branding and kind of like um building um having um adding more clients well, and along the same lines, one thing that's always fascinated me about lawyers is how so many of them don't understand that branding aspect. Like some of them really do and they're pushing for it like this guy, but firm I used to work for was is a partnership and like the names change every few years. And like that they don't even like continuity in their names. So how are they gonna have a brand? No offense if they ever see this, but it just never made sense to me. And it's like the partners who've been there the longest want to have their name in the name. And so they keep changing the name of the firm. How is that maintaining a brand? You know, you need to uh, consider having a familiar, uh, familiar brand in the marketplace and the value of that over having your name in the, you know, your last name up there, you know, in light. So it's just interesting to me how lawyers, some are so blind to the concept of branding and others really get it and are trying to um, push it and you know, push the limits on it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, some firms like, I mean, like, you know, your Scaddens and your Cravats and whatnot. I mean, I, it's gotten to the point now where, I don't even think we associate them with like Paul Cravath or, you know, whatever the Scadden guy's first name. I can't remember off the top of my head. Henry? I don't know. But, um, but yeah, so, I mean, they've become kind of brand names in and of themselves. So, but, but those, that's for them. I mean, for all these other firms, like what you were talking about, Nikki, it's like, yeah, it's like you're, they're always changing their names every time somebody leaves or somebody, you know, or every time there's a merger, or every time there's something else going on. But, I mean, one thing I thought was interesting just from reading this was talking about the, uh, you know, non-lawyers having equities in law firms and whatnot. I mean, Obviously, that's still a hot topic that's still being looked at, you know, being evaluated in certain states. Um, you know, I mean, a firm like this that's active in so many states, you know, I could see that being an ethical minefield for them, just being like, okay, well, if we let non-lawyers own stock in this in our Arizona office, what does that mean for our Ohio office? So, so I could see that being a headache, and maybe some law firms wouldn't want to deal with that. But yeah, I mean, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see, like, you know, this, you know, this model catches on because, yeah, I mean how many times have we like kind of just looking, looking, looking at Google for lawyers and you don't know, you don't know if like, you know, 
Smith Law Firm is 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 the best immigration firm, or if Jones Law Firm is better, or if Davis Law Firm. So it just you know, I mean, I, I mean, or, or 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 what kind of law they do just from the name. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see to see if this catches on. I think I think I think it opens up a lot of interesting possibilities. Yeah, I mean, I, it's always has struck me as one of those ar- archaic vestiges of an, of another era that makes no sense anymore and, and doesn't do anything to protect consumers. I mean, if you know, there there are there are still rules against uh, you know lawyers uh, misleading uh, consumers or or misleading uh, potential clients. So if you had a name that was I don't know, you know, best mass law firm or something, maybe maybe that's a problem. Uh, but uh, if you want to go by a trade name, I you know I I think. Joe's point hit it right squarely on the head, which is it, it's much more informative to consumers and much better for consumers uh, in terms of actually finding legal help. If you have a name, it's descriptive of what you do rather than uh, somebody's last name. Yeah, I'm just kind of going back to our discussion last week about naming startup companies too and uh, with Victoria's story and just really hoping not everybody doesn't choose um, Lex or the same same um, names, same legal names that we see over and over again for all their all their uh, new branding. Yeah. Um, so I know somebody brought up the uh, the news about I forget who it was. It Nikki, maybe somebody brought up the news about the Minnesota's launch uh, uh, this week of a legal paraprofessionals yeah. program. Yeah, it's a, it's a good segue into that because it's a lot of the same themes. I think this idea yeah. of um, uh, old ethics rules becoming antiquated in today's world. And, and the Minnesota, um, Minnesota, right? That, that one was um, the, the one that just, it was an ABA journal article, but it was about how they are doing um, what Washington just um, uh, backburnered, the idea of allowing uh, paralegals to provide limited types of legal services related to trusts and estates and that type of thing. And it's interesting to me, you know, to see these, uh, to see at the same, a couple different types of convergences happening. And they're all sort of what Susskind um, predicted in his different books um, for, you know, first he predicted email and everyone said it was crazy. Lawyers are never going to use email. And then a lawyer started to use email. And then he started writing about this whole sort of second wave. And, you know, he talked um, sort of like the liberalization that's happening in England. And he's been saying for some time that what's happening in the UK is going to come over here. This liberalization of um, non-lawyer owners, of, um, uh, of, you know, fee sharing, of allowing um, non-lawyers to practice, of allowing video, um, you know, this move towards video courts, you know, and all of these things are happening all at once. And it's so interesting to see both because of COVID and also just because of changes in the marketplace that are part of the digital revolution are changing all at once and coming to fruition all at once, just as he predicted, because he truly has the, you know, the, the ability to foresee what's going to be coming down the pike when it comes to the intersection of law and tech. But this, that's what um, interested me about this article in particular, and also the conversation we were just having. A lot of the same things about a slightly different topic, but the same themes emerge. Yeah, like it's interesting because uh, I mean, yeah, Lyle, Lyle, who's a uh, uh, the reporter who wrote that, he's he's been following this like all these issues pretty closely, just starting with Washington and kind of snowballing down. And it's interesting going back and looking looking through like the coverage. It's like when the Washington thing happened, it was like, oh no, you know, everything's moving backwards. You know, all these programs are gonna are, are gonna go. Well, this program's going away, and now what does this mean for 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 everything else? Does this, is this gonna stifle innovation? Is this gonna mean 
everything kind of moves back to where they were. But then right after that happened, then it was like, you know, you had Utah, you had Arizona, and now you have Minnesota, and you have, you know, so it's interesting how like, how like, yeah, I guess that reaction didn't happen or the, or the, or, you know, just like, you know, what happened in Washington didn't necessarily have any bearing on, on, on any, any of the other states. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I wonder, I do wonder if, if, um, you know, what, I mean, I, I mean, I guess you can't let, you can't put the cat back in the bag as far as Washington goes. They've sunsetted their program. I don't know if, I don't know if there's any possibility that, you know, it could get, it could get reversed or it could get undone, but it'll be interesting to, yeah, to, to see like sort of if, 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 if this trend continues of like states opening up their practices at a time when Washington's kind of closing down there. So it'll be interesting to see if there's any effect, effect for that. Well, I think one of the things that Utah does is that they, they've created the system that, you know, challenges the marketplace to say, hey, can you do this better? And then they vet it to make sure that there's um, consumer protections in place. So, you know, then it, to me, then it becomes much easier for another state to say, hey, this has been vetted. Um, this could work in, a, in, a, in this way for us. So I, you know, I don't know if Washington, it's too late for them just because they'd be embarrassed to admit that they shut it down too early without a uh, adjusting it but you know really to me it just opens up the door for more adoption um, after watching the testing in the sandbox. Well, I, I think Washington shut it down not because they didn't think it was working so much as that because it was the same group of protectionist lawyers who, who felt that it was a threat to their uh, you know livelihoods in, in future uh, and, and they pressured they put pressure on the bar and the Supreme Court to shut it down in Washington. Uh, but that that said, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of have I seen any real good data on the extent to which these triple LT or or paraprofessional programs do in fact have an impact on access to justice? And I don't know that I really have. And I, I think we're it may be there. I just I'm just I haven't seen it. I, I think there's, there's kind of a there's presumption. some on the the California has done a lot of this work on the legal navigators. Um, so there, there's, but again, you, you know, the best approaches seem to be the more open you can make it, the, the easier, the less um, um, licensing level, you know, so you're not having to um, go through all the hoops that, that the triple LTs had to go through in Washington um, to, be, to be useful to the client. Um, right. So, you know, but I do, I, there's quite, there's, I'll have to, I'll bring that up next time. Maybe I'll, I'll dig up some of the research on that. Yeah. Well, I know there was, I actually had uh, Rebecca Sandifer on my podcast who did uh, a study, sort of a midterm study of the triple LT program while it was still going on, the one in Washington, which I don't know if there's really much data. She, I mean, their report was that the program is, is, is uh, appearing to be a success so far and, and was having some good impact, but I don't know if it's so much data-based as, as based on conversations with, with the providers and clients. Um, also interesting in the Minnesota program is still requiring these paraprofessionals to be affiliated with a lawyer in some way. They're not fully independent like the uh, triple LTs were in, in Washington. Well, like nurse practitioners or PAs in yeah. LA. Yeah. Yeah. You got to figure yeah. out who to sue, right? If something goes wrong. <laughs> right. You got to well, have that deep they, pocket. <laughs> right. Right. True. Um, what else do we have here? Uh, Victor, you, you had mentioned a story on Senate panel votes to subpoena CEOs of Google, Facebook. Yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously now with, 
everything being thrown into whack. <laughs> I yeah. don't know if, they, <laughs> yeah. but, um, but yeah, I mean, Senate. You know, yeah, <laughs> they're, they're, they're not they showing up in the Senate. I, I think they have other problems right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 I thought it was interesting just because it, it's, it's, you know, like at first we were just going to talk about the whole section two thirty thing, which, you know, talking about perceived bias against, certain ideologies on search engines and social media and whatnot. Um, but then, you know, after pressure from my, you know, the minority Democrats on the panel, uh, they agreed to add like at the very end, okay, you guys talk about privacy as well. I mean, so typically with, with these hearings, it'll be like, you know, all, you know, everyone in the majority will talk about how, how, how they're being suppressed on social media. And then everyone in the minority will talk about, you know, privacy and fake news and, and whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was interesting just because, you know, like I think there was a line in the story about how uh, one of the one of the senators was like, "Oh, this is a ch- this is just they're just trying to work the refs before the election." Um, but of course, you know, I'm sure when that quote was given, it was before you know the, the latest monkey wrench was thrown into the our, into our electoral process. So who knows? Maybe 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 this hearing's not even going to happen now. Maybe it's not going to mean a thing. Uh, but yeah, but I thought it was, I just thought it was interesting how you know this this debate is still going on, like this whole like you know, oh we're you know, you're not, you're not showing, our, you know, our results aren't showing up on your social media, so that means you're biased against us, or, you know, oh, just stuff like that. So, I, yeah, I, I just thought it was interesting for that reason, but obviously, you know, I said that before, you know, <laughs> it became apparent just, just how insignificant that it was in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Joe, is there anything new in the world of bar exams this week? Yes. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, there always is, and there's no way to keep up with all of it. Uh, the, bar, the online bar exam in 18 states, technically 19, but Oregon has diploma privilege except for a few people, and they're having an online exam for those small few. So 18 slash 19 states begins on Monday, and it seems as though nothing is going to stop it. And uh, we're for the, all those people who've been jerked around all year, they're going to uh, going to walk in and uh, take a bar exam. So we'll see how it goes. Obviously, it has not gone well uh, previously this summer, but you know, uh, I, I have been informed by ExamSoft that they have increased their characters of their passwords. From in Michigan, when they got hacked, their passwords were things like brown 89 and now their passwords are 18 characters so possibly better uh that should prevent people from being able to brute force hack into the system but we'll see uh yeah but it's it's bad and uh they actually took a shot as some bar examiner randomly took a shot at me the other day uh saying that i was some crazy biased source and i'm like look i wasn't biased until you um confirmed all these biases. <laughs> uh, there, there's a certain point where you, you just prove things and me telling that back to you doesn't mean I'm biased. It means I'm making conclusions. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's uh, it, so good luck to everybody taking it. Um, it's unfortunate that it's reached this point, but you know, you, you've got this hunker down. You'll be okay. Yeah. Did you see, I, I don't know if, if you've written, you, if you've written about this, I, I apologize, but I haven't seen it, but the, VentureBeat had this great story this week on the ExamSoft, entitled ExamSoft's remote bar exam sparks privacy and facial recognition concerns. Yeah. 
Uh, well, we've talked a lot about the face, facial recognition issue. Actually, Victoria's talked about that too. Like Victoria, like both of us have 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 had articles about that. Uh, the privacy issues are actually a a, a sim a, a jumping off point uh, yeah. because in California and Illinois, both of which have laws that are pretty pretty directly targeted at the ways in which you can use that kind of biometric information, it's an issue. Um, it is something that at least in California, they think should be looked at. And in Illinois, it's possible it is being looked at. I'm not sure. But there are reasons to suggest that the ways in which this software interacts and connects facial recognition that it's doing with your personal information in a setting that could be hacked and indeed has been hacked within the last year uh, could raise concerns that it violates those laws. Yeah. Uh the other interesting thing about this article that I did not realize is that uh, uh, some people are, are uh, people of color are literally having to sit there with a light flash, a light shining on their face in order for the facial recognition uh, technology to not, you know, misidentify uh, them because it has problem uh, with uh, identifying people of color. So that's bizarre a bizarre idea of sitting there taking an exam with a light flashing on your face shine not flashing shining on your face during throughout the exam when i spoke to us um a, a law school student or a law student uh law school's uh graduate who's preparing to take i think it was the michigan bar and it would include like the exam soft um, facial recognition software she said along with like um going over her notes and everything like that and studying she was also like preparing to like study and take the exam under like lighting specific type of lighting so she wouldn't have issues when exam day came and they said we don't recognize you all the software would say we don't recognize you against like your driver's license so that is something real that she says she is doing and i would assume like other black student or black um bar exam takers are maybe thinking about as well so they can at least prepare themselves for Right. Well, that, that's what this article talks about that. And, and this one, they talk about this one woman in particular who, who gets headaches from light. So she's having to sit there with this light shining on her, but it's, you know, as it goes on or her migraine gets worse during the course of taking the exam. And, uh, well, what and a this mess. goes back to what we've talked about in the past, which is that it's not like ExamSoft, who I'm sure is trying their best. Uh, it's not like they invent the facial recognition software. They get it from somewhere else, right? And right. we have a long history of the facial recognition software being biased in exactly this way. And so to integrate that into their system, which they had to do because ILG was the one who tried to be the exam, soft, the exam software platform. And they said, well, we're not going to use that. We're going to use live proctors. Basically, a live proctor would get much as many of you are watching this on Zoom with a tile of like 50 people and they just like scroll through and make sure you aren't cheating. And that crashed miserably multiple times. And so that stopped being the thing. And ExamSoft said, no, we got this solved. We'll use this facial recognition software. And a lot of people said, that seems like that's gonna cause problems. And here we are. <laughs> uh, all right. I have a non-legal uh, non tech Headline was my favorite headline of the week that I thought I'd throw out. There was an ABA Journal one, and it was the uh, uh, it was a lawyer who was suspended for multiple citations for driving around while naked. And so apparently that's frowned upon. I had to make a note to self 
you know, for future reference. But I thought that was hysterical. Like, uh, who does these things? But, that's actually our number damn. one trending. That's actually our number one trending story right now, as far as traffic goes. I just got the, for good reason. I just got, <laughs> I just got the report before before I joined. I, that that that's number one with a bullet right now. It's not. It's not going to challenge the movies list anytime soon. You know, but. How did you beat Joe to that story? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so, by the way, I, I, I feel as though what I, one of the things I love is I believe this is true, that Nikki is always very good about crediting headlines. I, be, I believe you're the one who tweeted a few weeks ago when I had a particular headline. You're like, I knew this was Joe Patrice's headline before I clicked on it, <laughs> which was when I wrote the headline, Ding Dong Lawyer Dinged for Showing Dong. <laughs> so, right. I mean, you know, I'm like, this has got to be Joe. Yeah, you're very good about uh, you're very good about crediting people with good headlines. So this this lawyer had multiple citations. This wasn't a one time occurrence. Yeah, he just posted it to the chat. Did he, but did, it just did, made me did, laugh. did he or she have an explanation? Is if I have to ask whether it was a he or she? But... Oh well. All right. All right, I forgot to mention Caroline Hill was not with us this week. Oh, okay. That's what it was, yeah. All right, yeah. Uh, Caroline Hill uh, wasn't able to join us today. She's uh, off gallivanting in London right now, I guess, but uh, hopefully she'll be back next week. Uh, I think she and I are both making uh, some some cameo appearances in the Net Documents conference next week. Uh, We've recorded little segments uh, that's going to be part of that. Uh, So uh, looking forward to seeing that. Uh, anything else? Any good of the order? Anything else people want to raise before we wrap up today? All right, then. Well, uh, yeah. Was there something oh, I, I was just going to say no. So, like, <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, All Joe right. needs to have the last word. So, you know. I didn't a couple weeks ago. Literally, my camera died at the end a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's, I don't know what's worse, losing the camera or losing the mic, but that, these things happen. All right, well, that'll do it for today's show then, I guess. And we will all be back here next uh, Friday at three o'clock Eastern time, noon Pacific time, uh, in whatever time it is in your part of the world. Uh, and I hope you'll be back and join us then. Let us know, email any of us or reach out to us on Twitter if you have some stories you want us to talk about before then. We'll see you all then. Have a nice weekend, guys. Everybody.